It's one of my favorite moments in church musical history for Erie First. For uh, many years, we would do an Easter musical here, and it was a large production, and the set was just huge, and the actors were wonderful, and the music was inspiring, and the story of, of Jesus walking on this earth and his death and his resurrection would stir us as we would move into that Easter week. So on this particular night, we had gone through the parts where we had Jesus hanging on the cross, and it's an extremely moving time. They had brought Jesus down off the cross, and they brought him and laid him down next to his mother, Mary, and during a very gut-wrenching, emotional moment, the mother of Jesus is holding him and weeping, and it just tears you up. The disciples come, and they take Jesus' body, these disciples who are in shock and are grieved, and they make their way up a hill, a small hill, into the tomb. The tomb is sitting right about here. And they put Jesus in the tomb, and then these muscular disciples take that massive tonnage of a rock, and they roll it into place. Then the choir begins to, to sing this dirge, and eventually they get into, Low in the grave he lay, Jesus my Savior. Waiting the coming day, Jesus my Lord. And they go through all of that, and the time will come when they begin to sing, Up from the grave he arose, and then the tomb will open up, and Jesus will come out victorious. And it's just an incredibly moving time, a victorious time. Well, what the audience doesn't know is that when Jesus, who has been bloodied by his time on the cross, the actor is taken into the tomb, and the stone is rolled in place, a little red bulb back there is turned on, and there's a stagehand back in the tomb who helps Jesus get all that makeup off of him, that actor, all that bloody makeup off, and that, that loincloth that he's worn, and he takes that off, and he's just standing there in his gym shorts getting washed off. And so... What also the audience didn't know that night is when the stone was rolled into place, it got off track. Don't get there. I'm heading there. Hang on. I'll, be, I'll get you there. And so the stagehand that's back there getting Jesus cleaned up also knows that it's off track. And so there's a string that's attached to that stone. So at the right moment, he pulls the string and the stone rolls back. And so he starts fidgeting with that, trying to get it on track because we've got to get the stone out, open so that Jesus can come out. Well the worst that possibly could happen happened at that moment. The stone fell and it went, didn't roll, it went flat down, just boom. And those who quickly had a glimpse up and could just barely see with that, that, that little red light, because they didn't give it much light, could see Jesus standing there in his gym shorts, <laughs> wiping himself clean of the blood. The actor, realizing that the people were seeing him, ran back into the tomb and hid. So I want you to get this picture that here in this victorious moment, Jesus is hiding in the tomb and he refuses to come out. <laughs> so now what are you going to do? The media guys are all yelling on the, the headsets, stone down, stone down. You know, just, I don't know if there's a code for that or what, but the stone is down. What are you going to do? There's a couple slave girls, young ladies sitting right here. They see the problem, so they're going to fix it. So these, these small young slave girls walk up to that massive stone that took all those disciples to put in place and they both grab it and go <laughs> and go sit back down. Up from the grave he arose, out comes the stone, Jesus walks out, a little embarrassed. Not quite victorious. So much for reality. 
Paul the Apostle, in writing to his friends in that first century city of Colossae, this Roman city, is wanting them to know that it's not just styrofoam stones and stage makeup, but this whole Jesus thing is so incredibly real. There's nothing more realistic in life than that. And so in writing to them, here's what he says in Colossians, the first chapter. It's on your outline, and you can see it on the screen here. May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance, and circle that word inheritance, that belongs to his people who live in the what? The light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. If there's anything that you should grab hold of in your world and in your life is that verse. Put it someplace that you can see it and reflect on it daily. Because if you go back with me to our mom and dad, the original, Adam and Eve, in that garden, it wasn't that moment, they decided they wanted to be like God. They wanted to be more than they were created to be. And as a result of their rebellion against God, they became less than his image. They became less human than God intended them to be. For when we reject God, we become less human. Paul and others would describe that as walking into a darkness. In some of his letters, he would say, we have become darkened in our understanding, darkened in our affections, darkened in our relationships, darkened in our understanding of what real truth is. And inherently within that darkness is a dehumanizing. We become less human than we were created to be. So in that darkness, we go to war. And war reduces people to targets, not people. We lust. And so we reduce people to objects of pleasure, not people. We get greedy. And we reduce people to objects or to commodities. And our Creator understood that we would come to that place, that we would entomb ourselves in this darkness and not be able to get free, and it would only grow darker. So before the world was created, Him knowing that it would happen, already set into motion that He would send His Son, God in flesh, who would enter into our entombment, confront the dark powers, overcome them and spring out of that darkness to go back to his Father who is the creator of light. Because you see, here's the issue. When we move from God who is light, we move into darkness. And he said, you need to find the light again. And so not only did he spring through his resurrection into that, that realm of God's light, he said, I will take you with me. Anyone who does not reject God but receives him, this one called Jesus, he said, I will take you there into that realm with me. You see, that is our inheritance. We get God and everything that makes God, God. And the good news is this, that it's not just 
what's going to happen to us. And years ago, the church would sing in the sweet by and by. It's more than that. The scripture says this, and we've read it before in this, this, this whole collection of, of, of words Paul wrote in this letter. He said, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Not only do you have the certainty that all of this will take place, but already it's activated in you. The inheritance has already been activated and moving in you. That you are already becoming fully human. This transformation is taking place because of Christ in you. How many of you have put your faith in Jesus for the removal of your sins and your future? How many have done that? Then here's what it says. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That you are in the process of transformation. This transformative, God's transformative inheritance shapes us back into his image. That's his promise. We are being shaped. We are being transformed. We are becoming fully human. And that fully human simply means that we are now able to do what God said he wanted us to do in the first place, which was this. Love God with our whole heart and our neighbor as ourself. It deals with relationships. When we come into relationship with Jesus, it affects how we relate to other people. We become different in how we deal with them. There's a great difference between how we dealt with them before we connected with Jesus and, and now how we deal with them. There is just, it's, it's a night and day thing. It's a dark and light thing. We begin to speak differently. We talk differently. We do not speak negative, but we speak positive words into people's lives. Our goals change. What we want to achieve in life changes. How we deal with our sexuality drastically changes from what the world around us says is okay. What we buy changes. What we give away changes. How patient we are with people who, who are such an irritant to us, that changes. If Jesus is more than styrofoam and stage makeup, then we need to understand that the way we treat each other speaks volumes about our personal connection to Jesus. Tom Rainer began to talk to some folks who, uh, who were not part of the church, and he, he asked them what they thought of the church, and, and he said there were some incredible insights. Some, in fact, he wrote a book called Surprising Insights from the Unchurched. And one of the things that surprised him is how shocked and actually disappointed those outside a worshiping church were at those inside the church because of their disunity. One lady, Sandy from Pennsylvania, said this, I thought Christians were supposed to love one another, but the more I observed Christians, the more I thought they really didn't like each other. So understand that when you connect with Jesus, he doesn't make you love everybody. You just suddenly don't start loving everybody. He, he equips you to do that. But it still is our choice. And that is why Paul, writing to his friends in Colossae, tells them this in Colossians 3. Since God chose you to be holy, to be holy people that he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. And remember the Lord forgave you, so you must what? 
forgive others. So that's what we dealt with last week, and if you weren't here, please download the podcast and grab hold. And that's why when you came in here last week, we gave you a little gift. We gave you a, a, a bookmark. If I can get it out here, I'll show it to you. We gave you a bookmark, many different colors, but there were, there were three colors in each braided bookmark. And some of you were here last week, and we ran out. We didn't make enough, and so we made some. And if you were here last week and didn't get one, stop by the West Service Center in the lobby and grab one. Because what we told you was this, that this illustrated our lives, and that there were three different colors, three different braids here. And so two of those would be where you and anyone in relationship you connect with, whether that's the barista at Starbucks or it's your grandfather, it's just you're connecting with somebody. And then Jesus said, braid in my love there so that I'm always in a connection with those relationships and look at those and make sure that every relationship is pure, forgiven, and everything is, is, is connected in right manner. So we ask you to take these and put them in a place where you can see it and continually look at it and, and say, are all my relationships in right order? I was with a friend this week having lunch, and we talked about that a little bit. And I, we were talking about where he put his bookmark, and he said, oh, it's not in my book. I said, where is it? He said, it's on my wrist. And he took it, and so I took his, his example, and so I'm wearing mine this way too, just around the wrist. So I'm going to encourage you, if you didn't get one, grab one. If you got a bookmark, and, you, and you're not going to see it every day, stick it on your wrist. When people ask you what it is, you say, it is my task to reveal Jesus in my relationships, and this reminds me that every relationship is vitally important, that I need to love them the way that Jesus loves me. Now, that may be the way I say it. You need to say it how you want to say it, but it is our reminder. So that is why we're asking every small group, every individual, every outreach, every ministry, not only an individual in your own reflection in your own reflective moment with God, but also with one another, to ask each other the question, are there any relationships that you have where there is unforgiveness, where there is negative talk, where there is mistrust? What are you going to do about it? Because that's what we're called to do. So if the kingdom of God is the kingdom of what? Right relationships. Paul says, I want to talk to you about those relationships because those reflect this wonderful relationship you have with Jesus. And so he brings us to this place now that in a very practical way, he says, I want to talk to you about your work relationships. And in his day, really what that dealt with in many ways was the relationship that slave owners had with slaves. In the Roman world, slavery was a common part of life. Half the people you would connect to as you walked the streets of any Roman city were slaves. The majority of professionals, doctors, teachers were slaves. For many of them, they contracted themselves out as servants so that they could gain some cash or pay off a debt, but they would contract themselves for a certain amount of time, and when they had fulfilled that time, they were free. But they hoped in serving well in their profession that they would connect in a relationship with the family or with the family business so that when they were set free, the family or the family business would say, we don't want to let you go, and they would actually give them an advancement, put them in a higher position, and they would now have employment. And so slavery was a common thing in Paul's day. So Paul brings him to this place 
where he, he says, I want to talk to you about, and what the Germans would call the Hostafel. It's a word that Martin Luther used, which means the house table, or if you will, the household code. And Paul takes it and puts it right in his letter and says, if you are a follower of Jesus, this is how we treat the family. And by the way, the slaves are part of the family. So this is how we deal with each other in the family and in our work with each other. Now, what's amazing is when this letter arrived, more than likely it arrived with a companion letter, an individual letter to a man named Philemon. Philemon was a slave owner, and one of his slaves had stolen money and had run from him, had escaped, and connected somehow with Paul, who was in Rome in prison. Paul brings this slave Onesimus to a relationship with Jesus. He has a full understanding, and now he says, because of this, you have got to follow the household code that God has put into effect, and so you've got to return back to your slave owner, back to Philemon. And so he sends this letter along with the slave to say, I'm sending back Philemon to you. I'm sending Onesimus back to you, Philemon. And Philemon, I want to tell you that first of all, I've had conversation with Onesimus and he knows how he should respond to you. He should have never taken the money and if he owes you something, I will pay you. But here's the deal. He's coming back to you because that's what Jesus wants him to do. And I want to say to you, Philemon, that when he left you, he was a slave. When he's coming back to you, he is a brother of yours now in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Treat him as such. And all the people in the church were watching how this would unfold because the majority of them were slaves. And so Paul says, then let's talk about those work relationships. Some of you in this place say, I know how he feels because I feel like a slave at work. I feel like a slave where I volunteer. I feel like a slave to my family. I, I remember that when I was a child, there were four of us siblings and there were those moments that that my mom would clean the house and we would just tear it to pieces. And she would walk in and she would just say, I am not your slave. And we would think, oh, yes, you are. (laughs) Some of you feel that way. Paul says, let me talk to you about how you work with each other. First of all, this, our work must spring out of lordship. Remember that in this city of of many gods, there is also this this Caesar worship. And the, the common phrase is Caesar is Lord. And now these Christians are coming out saying, no, Jesus is Lord. Now, if you have this battle of lordship, one of them must prove that he is more powerful. And so this Jesus is Lord must be so powerful that it convinces the others. And, and Paul says it will be convincing especially within your relationships, that when people watch how you treat each other, it'll be so different from what's happening around you, they will look at you and say, wow, that's powerful. So he said, I want you to understand that what you do with each other must come out of a mindset that affects your actions. My first job in high school was with a new restaurant back then called Mini Pearl Chicken. Remember that? Mini, mini pearl, remember that? Mini pearl chicken? How many remember mini pearl chicken? Yeah, a few of you. It wasn't in existence very long. You say, what was your job? Well, it, it, wasn't, it, it wasn't cooking and it wasn't cash register. It wasn't even washing stuff. Mine was this. I, I was the chicken. <laughs> and now, I, 
I couldn't, I couldn't find the actual costume I used back then. This is a whole lot better. The costume that I had, the, the yellow part of the body just came about here, and I had to wear these yellow tights with the, with the chicken feet, and I was so glad I had a mask on my head. It, just, it was horrible. So after a couple of days of doing the chicken thing out in front of the restaurant and having people drive by and yell things about my chicken parts, I decided I didn't want to do this anymore. So I went home and I said to my parents, I can't do this anymore. I just, I can't. And my parents sat me down and said, did you tell them that you would do it for a certain amount of time? I said, yeah, I did. They said, well, then you have to finish this out. You have to finish your word. You told them you would do this. And not only do you have to do that, here's what they told me. They said, you have to do it to the best of your ability. You have got to be the best chicken you can be. (laughs) It was the household code that came from Paul's words, and here's what he said. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for who? The Lord, not for men. What's interesting about the phrasing that he's using right there is that throughout this letter, Paul uses a word when he's describing Jesus. He uses the word Christos or Messiah, meaning the Messiah who's, who's come, and, and, and he uses that word until he gets to here, and he uses the word Kyrios, meaning Lord. Because he's going to do a little word play here, because he can also use the word Kyrie, which means masters. And so here's what he says. Colossians 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. He says this, whether you're filling potholes or making pot pie or taking your one-year-old and putting him on the pot, whatever the case is, whatever the work is that you are doing, you've got to do this in honoring the lordship of Jesus. Whatever it is you're doing. So when I say to an employer, I'm going to give you two weeks notice if I ever leave, and then all of a sudden you get this offer and you've got to be gone in three days, you've got to, you've got to fulfill your word because you promised it not just to that employer, but you, you promised it to the lordship of Jesus. This is the promise you made to Jesus but I might lose it. No, no, he's Lord. He's got the whole thing under control, but you've got to keep your word. When you volunteer to go work at my father's house and, and you're heading down there to work and you suddenly get this phone call that says, I want to take you down to the expo in Cleveland for the home and garden show and you've wanted to go there for years but couldn't and now you've got a ride and they're going to pay your way. You've got to go down and serve because you gave your word to Jesus. When you're part of this, this church family, this community of faith, and as we gather on Sunday mornings, we have a great hospitality team that comes and greets you and, and serves you and gets you in the right place and seats you and, and takes the offering and then to do all that stuff. If you're part of the hospitality team and, and you're, you know you're scheduled for Sunday morning and you've agreed, you, you didn't say you couldn't be here and suddenly you decide you want to sleep in on Sunday morning or somebody says, hey, let's go to brunch at the peak, you've got to be here because you gave your promise to Jesus, His Lordship. When you come in covenant relationship with a, with a group, whether it's this one or not, or another, and you say, I'm, I'm, I promise to give my resources, I promise to tithe, I promise to, to serve, and you don't, then you've broken your promise not to, to the leadership of this church or the people you're seated by. You broke your promise with Jesus. You see, I can't, I can't, I can't extend my coffee break 
just because no one's looking. I can't have someone clock me out and I duck out early because I've got to get to an appointment. I can't do that because I'm working for Jesus. It all comes out of his lordship. If, if I'm working at Radio Shack, the, the effort that I put in at Radio Shack describes my respect for those I'm working with because all of this is relational. They're not just objects. They're just not employers. They're just not people in corporate. They are people, real people. And so how I work reflects my respect. And how I respect reflects my love. And my love for those people measures my love for Jesus and my respect for his lordship. So what has to stir inside of me is this Jesus passion from his lordship. And Jesus' passion then ignites the action. Paul coins an interesting phrase in this verse we've just read that, that he actually makes a, a phrase up that's not used anywhere else. And it's, it's this word, eye service. He says, and, and, did, and, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Not with just eye service. Don't just work when the boss comes by so that you can appease him or, or you, can, you can make him feel better about your efforts. You can pacify your boss. No. One scholar says it's this, going through the outward movements of work without a corresponding keenness of will behind them. That's the problem. So here's the deal. When you are contracted and you're putting in that tile in that home that you're working in, when you're putting that tile in, you are saying to the homeowner, this is how much Jesus loves you. This is the effort. This is how much Jesus loves you. This is the way. When you're dealing with those preschoolers at home, and I, I noticed on somebody's Facebook, they gave a statistic that, a couple weeks ago that said your preschooler will want your attention every four minutes. They said that's 210 times a day. Some of you say, oh, no, it's two minutes. But when you do that, when you give your attention to that child who's driving you absolutely crazy, you are saying this is how Jesus loves you. Paul says what that is, is sincerity of heart is the word he uses. It means singleness of heart. It means that when you serve, there is no selfishness in you that you are not doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for them. And when you do, he says, that is reverence for the Lord. It is your worship. See, I can't come in here today and raise my hands in an expression of worship and sing as Dave leads and, and join with him and, and do all of that and then leave here today and on Monday go to GE and be sloppy, tardy, or mouthy. I can't do that. Whether GE knows it or not, Jesus is Lord in Lawrence Park. And my love will reveal that. You say, oh boy, it gets tough sometimes where I work. Yeah, it's just it's wearing me out. I know, I know, I know. But here's what you've got to do. Work for the payout. Do that. How many are familiar with Apple Computer? You familiar? You might recognize these two guys. I want to show you these two guys. We got them up there. There's just one guy up there, and that's not. There we go. 
Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak, these are the founders of Apple Computer. In fact, Wozniak was on Dancing with the Stars. You may have seen him kind of geeky looking, really rich geeky looking. Yeah. How many of you have ever heard the name Ron Wayne? We have a picture of Ron Wayne. Ron Wayne's on the right. Yeah, on your right. Ron Wayne was the third person of the three who started Apple Computer. You say, well, I never heard of him. That's because after 12 days working with the other two guys, he freaked out and thought they were going to go too far in debt, so he bailed. He lost his 10% in the company. If he had stayed with his 10% and worked there, today it would be worth $22 billion. Today he is 76. He lives off his Social Security and makes ends meet by selling stamps and coins. Paul says, I want you to think about your future. And here's what he says. Colossians 3, verse 3. Work from the heart for your real master, for God, confident that you'll get paid in full. You'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The solemn servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible, being Christian doesn't cover up bad work. The problem with slaves is that slaves during the time of the Roman Empire had no inheritance. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Keep serving because you do have an inheritance. There is a payout for you because you're part of the family. In fact, in the house code that he described in the same manner to the church at Ephesus, only he became more detailed on the relationship of husband and wife. And when he said to the women, submit to your husband and to the men, love your wife as Christ loves the church, he ends it up by saying this whole thing about husband and wives, you're not going to get this very well, but I'm going to try to describe it to you. It really is an example of the bride and groom, Jesus and his church coming together. So the degree of ecstasy you feel right now, the intimacy and the joy you feel in becoming one, husband and wife, is only a nanosecond of the explosion of feeling and ecstasy you'll have when you get to your inheritance. So what I'm saying to you is think of the thing that is giving you the greatest pleasure ever in life. Just think about it. What is the, the greatest ecstasy you've ever had? Multiply it by a million times and you'll begin to understand the inheritance that is yours. So he says, work for that. Move that direction. And by the way, he says, if your boss is not a follower of Jesus, doesn't follow the household code, and doesn't treat you well. You're not excused in how you serve him by saying, he's not very good to me, I will not be very good to him. Paul said, you cannot do shoddy work because Jesus still is your master. He still is Lord. You are serving him. So when you do your work, you're doing it for him. And he said, and by the way, for you that are bosses, he says this, Colossians 4, verse 1, Masters, be just and fair to your slaves, and remember that you also have a master in heaven. In the Roman world, the slaves had no rights. And Paul said, no, 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 no. It's changed. He says, you guys who are the CEOs, you who are the authority, you who are the masters, you who own the slaves, I'm telling you right now, listen to me. You that own the businesses, listen. You have a master. 
And would you like your master to treat you the way that you treat your slaves, the way that you treat your employees? Treat them as you would want to be treated. And by the way, if the one who's serving you is also a follower of Jesus, understand that you both have the same master, so don't be messing with God's children. God doesn't like it. Follow the household hold, a household code. So tradition says that Onesimus showed back up to Colossae. And he served. He took whatever, whatever discipline came his way as a result of leaving. We also know that Philemon, somewhere in all of that, freed him. And we know this. That in all of that, in that relationship and in that power of relationship and forgiveness and, and the household cold and, and, and all of that went on, all of that, that this slave, Onesimus, eventually became the bishop of Byzantium, the bishop over Ephesus in that region. Tradition says that he was responsible for taking the letters that Paul was sending out and collecting them together, which would eventually become the New Testament. That's powerful. And that New Testament was the anchor and that which gave persistence and perseverance to a man named William Wilberforce who was behind the abolition of slavery in Great Britain. See what happens when whatever you do, you work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. You see, that's, that's not styrofoam and makeup. That's for real. Will you stand? Before I dismiss you, I want to pray a blessing on you. And before I do that, I want to just say to you, if this morning you want to know more about this relationship with this Jesus who is so loving and so incredibly kind, you even sensed his love as you've been here this morning. Would you stop by our information desk, the West Service Center, on your way out? We have a gift for you that will tell you more about that relationship with God through Jesus and, and help you go on that path. And you saw the Alpha class advertised this morning. That will take you in detail about who Jesus is. It's a great class to learn about what it is to walk in faith with Jesus. So please take advantage of that. So now, may you have this week a great understanding of the love that God has for you. And may you at every opportunity, with every relationship, express that love to those with whom you come in connection with. And may you this week, wherever you work, whether it's home or at the plant, at the store, on the campus, may you give worship to God by the effort you put forth and the love you share. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.